You're at the Coaching Inn, 3D Coaching's virtual pub where we enjoy conversations with people who are engaged in the world of coaching. Welcome to all our listeners and a very warm welcome to today's guest who is Rachel Weiss. Rachel and I met in Spain on a coaching constellations course, didn't we? About three, four years ago. In the hot, sunny sunshine. And uh, Rachel is my business buddy who I go to when I have questions about my small business. And Rachel comes to Mm -hmm. me with questions about hers. So it's great to have one of those. Uh, Rachel is a coach. She is a founder of the Menopause Cafe. And uh, she's won an award from the British Prime Minister as a Points of Light Award for her amazing work with the Menopause Cafe. And very few people have this award. And I have it too. (laughs) I was going to say, all right, I was going to devalue it. But if you've got it too, I shouldn't. I mean, I do think they give it to one person a day. So that's like 365 people a year. They do. Yeah, give we're it to both them little points of life, aren't we, Claire? Yes, we are. Definitely. And Rachel, it's such a pleasure to have you here today with the Menopause Festival coming up. Yes, great timing. So I will just differentiate my two hats since <laughs> listeners can't see my two hats. So one hat is I'm the founder of Rowan Consultancy, which is my counseling and coaching business. We've got about 50 of us freelancers in the UK. And the other hat is my voluntary work, like you, you too do voluntary work as well as your coaching business. And my voluntary work is with Menopause Cafe. And we'll be talking about the intersection of the two, I think. I hope we will. I hope. Other things. Yep. The menopause is interesting, isn't it? Because and men don't switch off. But about 50% of the people in the world are female. And every woman will go through the menopause. And when I went through the menopause, not that long ago, I can't remember, so it must be, well, maybe that's because I'm menopause. Well, that is a menopause symptom. Yeah. Uh, but maybe, I don't know, five, six, seven, eight years ago, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't talked about. No, and can I just butt in? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's not just people who identify as women who go through the menopause. The vast majority of people go through the menopause are cis women, but trans men will go through it too. That's women who've transitioned and want to be identified as men. Intersex people, non-binary, I think it's about 51, 52% of the population. Right, right. So you can't always tell when you look at someone necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry, you were saying. And it has a huge impact on people. It can do, yes. Um. The current narrative, at least in the UK in 2022, is quite a doom and gloom narrative that menopause is awful and disabling and we're all continuously having hot flushes and can't remember anything and are depressed. Now, I think the pendulum has swung from what you were saying. Is that right? That six, seven years ago, nobody knew anything about the menopause and we all ignored it. And now I think we are in danger of overemphasizing how awful it can be. And the truth is somewhere in the middle. But yeah, what was yeah. it like back in the days when no one spoke about it, Claire? Well, it wasn't too bad for me. Mm-hmm. But I know peers where you'd have a, a... But the peers that would talk about it would be friends. Kind of hush-hush or just privately. Yeah. And so 
I'd know how it was for friends because friends would choose to disclose that and I might choose to disclose how it was for me. I think Mm -hmm. one of the amazing things for me, and a friend had told me, a friend of mine is 10 years older than me, pretty much exactly. And she'd said to me, there's a time when you will get to the age where people really respect what you're doing and you can embrace your working life in a different way. And for me, that really has happened. Um, And I think the grey hair, the greying hair Mm. helps in that space, actually. I think there are also places where it doesn't help. And I think one of the things that I am aware of is that being a nearly 60-year-old grey-haired woman doesn't always put me at uh, as as an equal footing with a nearly 60 year old aging gray man gendered ageism intersectionality are all part of this yeah because there was an i read an interesting thing in the sunday press on uh, on sunday about (laughs) about how aging is seen as an asset for men and it's but not for women not so this is what we want to change but but it is a bit well, that I think is quite almost evolutionary or society. If women have traditionally been valued for our ability to bear children and to look gorgeous. Um, and whereas I think as we get older, we look interesting. But yeah, if we're just valued for our reproductive things, then becoming an old woman is less valued. If rather than being an elder of the tribe and the wisdom and being able to mentor others, and not care so much about what other people think. It's a brilliant, brilliant time, this older stage, but there's gendered ageism, certainly in Western society. Yeah, Yeah, and and of course, we recently had um, Judy Reith on uh, on the the coaching and talking about Act 3 and about about people in their third, well, in their third act of life. Yeah. And, And with Judy, of course, you'll remember that we were talking about all kinds of things and opportunities and choices and and stages and everything but I'm really interesting Rachel in the story because you didn't know I guess when you started this that you were starting a movement no no (laughs) menopause cafe is now a worldwide movement with an annual online menopause festival and I didn't know that so shall I tell you how it started Yes, please. Okay. Back in the day, in February 2017, Kirsty Walk, BBC documentary journalist, did a TV programme called The Menopause and Me. I believe that was the first ever TV programme on the menopause. So being about 50, not knowing what to watch on TV one night, I just said to my husband, fancy watching that because, you know, I probably ought to know about the menopause. So Kirsty's programme made it very clear to me two things. One is menopause was far broader than I thought. I thought it was just, hey, happy days, no periods, no contraception, no menstrual products, maybe I'll get a hot flush. Okay, but her program showed that there's a vast range of physical symptoms and emotional ones and cognitive symptoms. So that was my first thing is, oh, there's more to menopause than just hot flushes. And her program made it clear what you just said, women don't talk about it much and men don't talk about it at all. Yeah. And when women do talk about it, it's just very private, personal, even though it impacts their work, their relationships. So those two things struck me. This is a big deal. There's a lot to know about it. I I thought I was pretty well educated, but I knew nothing. 
and no one talks about it. So being a counsellor and a coach, I know that talking helps. I had run death cafes before. Um, that's a movement started by John Underwood, where people gather to drink tea, eat cake, and talk about death and dying. You can tell I'm a fun person, can't you? <laughs> Cafes, I just tell you, everybody, cafes. she is a fun person and she's a great person to go out for cake with. <laughs> yeah, I'm a great cake fan, which doesn't always fit with the healthy eating aspect of menopause. But hey, so because I had run death cafes before, it's a social franchise. Anyone who subscribes to their principles can run a death cafe in town in a cafe in Perth. I turned to Andy and said, do you think anyone would be interested in a menopause cafe? And he looked understandably blank. And I said, you know, like a death cafe, just different taboo topic. So we stuck that on our Facebook page for Rowan Consultancy, our counselling coaching business. And to my chagrin, it was our most popular post ever. <laughs> and loads of people went, yes, we'd like to talk about menopause. And crucially, two people, Gail Jack and Lorna Fotheringham in Perth, said, we'll help you organise it. So what can you do? You've had an idea and people say, yeah, please do it and we'll help you organise it. So that's how the first menopause cafe happened in Perth, with John Underwood's blessing from Death Cafe. We sat there thinking, will it just be the four of us? Will anyone turn up in this empty cafe? And yes, they came. Partly because STV, our local TV station, had stuck it on TV instead of the local. We had about 30 of us. So, shall I say what happens at a cafe? Well, yes, I want to know. Say what happens at the cafe in a minute. But what? So now it's a worldwide movement. Yes. Which, sorry, I get very excited about, although we had wanted worldwide spread from the beginning, but we never really thought it would happen. So, yeah, they've been held in Kenya, Copenhagen. Um, there's a regular monthly Connecticut online cafe. Um, been one in India. I don't think we've covered quite all the continents yet. So if any listeners out there want to host a menopause cafe online or in person, go to our website, read the guide on how to do it. and We'll help you. And your, it can be a one-off or a repeat. Your website is? A good point. www.menopausecafe.net. So that's www.menopausecafe.net. And how does that feel, Rachel, to have gone from a seed of an idea whilst watching the TV with Andy to it being a worldwide movement? Um, well, it's satisfying, but also a bit unreal and a bit daunting because oh how do I get out of this you know when you create something it turns out it's a bit like Rowan Consultancy I just created that and then it turns into something bigger if it's successful and then with that comes responsibility of oh sustainability and yeah how do I make this not all dependent on me I mean ultimately we hope Menopause Cafe will not be needed in I don't know maybe five seven years time if our goal is achieved which is that anyone who wants to can talk about menopause without shame or fear, then we won't need cafes to talk about menopause. We'll be able to talk about it at work or at home. So that's what I'm hoping. And how does it feel? Um, well, it feels good most of the time when it doesn't feel scary. Yeah. 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 And of course, in coaching, we work with people to say, you know, what would you like to be different? What are your dreams? What are your hopes? And often people do, well, people do move forward generally, don't they? But Oh, yeah. But they don't always necessarily move forward into a global thing. No. And yeah, this is a really good point for when we're coaching people to achieve their goal. And then what's it like when you do achieve it? Yeah. Um, what are the mixed feelings that come from that? 
Yeah. Yeah. So what happens at Menopause Cafe? You let's let's take an in-person one. Um, you turn up at a cafe and sit at a cafe table. We want to keep it as normal as possible rather than turning up in an NHS room or a church hall, you know, to be an accessible and cafes seem to be these third spaces that aren't too formal, but they're not too intimate like someone's house. Yeah. So a cafe, I can't remember who it was called in third spaces, like hairdressers and just places where people go and feel comfortable and talk. Turn up at the cafe, you all sit at cafe tables, maybe four or five at a table. The host, the volunteer host, who does not need to know anything about menopause, for people listening who might want to host one, you just need to have, hey, coaching skills and facilitation skills to hold a death cafe or a menopause cafe. The host stands up, says, welcome. I guess you could call it does some contracting. Goes through our principles, which is this event is open to everyone, any regardless of age or gender. Please treat what people share here with respect and care. Don't try and push anything. So it's so like coaching. There's no direction. Menopause yeah. Cafe has no agenda to sell any product or course of action. We're not pro HRT or anti HRT or pro. It's just to provide space for conversation. So yeah, I haven't thought of this before I spoke to you now. All the links with coaching. Um, and it's not for profit, there's no money involved. And then you just say to people, well, get on and chat. Maybe start by asking everyone in the table why they're here, what's their interest yeah. in menopause. And then we leave them to it in true coaching fashion. My original plan was to use the rule of two feet from the unconference movement, which says that, look, if you're sitting at a table and you're not gaining anything from the conversation and you're not contributing anything, then just get up and move to another table. Um, but the feedback form said, no, we're too British. We can't do that. That would be so embarrassing to get up and leave a conversation and move to yeah. another table. Please, will you ring a bell every 20 minutes and tell us to move? So that's as directive as it gets. Every 20 minutes or so, the host goes, hi, guys. We invite you to move to another table. If there are men present, which doesn't happen often, I always suggest that they stay put when people move tables so that a woman can choose whether she goes to sit on a mixed gender table or whether she prefers to go to a woman only table. Because some women, not surprisingly, when they are talking about say vaginal dryness, some of them have never even said the word vagina before and find it easier to do that first in a table with other vaginas around it rather than men. And that's pretty much it. And then at the end, you wrap it up and go, thanks for coming. Does anyone want to say anything? So yeah, anyone with facilitation skills can run it. And online's really similar. We just use Zoom and breakout rooms. Fantastic. And if coaching is a conversation where somebody feels heard and gets new insights into their own stuff, yep. that's not an unreasonable expectation from rocking up to the menopause cafe, is exactly. it? Exactly. People feel heard in a way some of them have never been listened to before. Um, we, of course, they're, and they get new insights from listening to other people, but these are the general public who may have not very good listening skills because they've never learned listening skills. So that is a crucial difference from seeing a trained yeah. professional coach. So when I facilitate them, I do just give out one big listening tip. Oh, it's not even a listening tip. It comes from my Gestalt coach training. I say, please, when you're talking about your experience, use the word I rather than you or we. So say, I found running helped rather than saying, you should all try running. Yeah. Oh, you and I both have experience of this, don't we? <laughs> Couch to 5K and not being the most running people, me at least. So, 
And that's another good reason to make people move tables every 20 minutes in case they get stuck on a table where people who are so overwhelmed by their own emotions are less able perhaps to listen well mm. to other people. Mm. But yeah, it's great. And it also helps with loneliness and it builds local community if it's face-to-face. -face. People meet each other, they share their vulnerabilities. And as we know, that builds, builds trust. Yeah, they talk about real stuff. Yes, people, some of the feedback, a friend went to one, she said, Rachel, I've just talked about sex with strangers. I mean, sex, I've talked about sex with people I don't know, more than I've done with some of my friends. Sometimes it's easier to talk to someone at a bus stop or a menopause cafe, mm. somebody you know well, who yeah. maybe knows your partner or whatever. Yeah. So what do coaches need to hear from the learning from this? Well, one thing I learned as a counsellor and a coach is if a client comes who might be going through the menopause and if they are reporting things like anxiety, depression, lack of confidence, forgetting things as new symptoms, it's worth asking, hmm, I wonder where you are with the menopause. And if they just laugh in your face or go, oh, do I really look that old? You know, people can take it badly. Fine, move on. But they might, they may well not be aware that lack of confidence, brain fog and forgetting things, feeling down are menopause symptoms. Now, we're not medics and you're not there to diagnose. But it might be worth it. Because sometimes when those things happen, lack of confidence, anxiety, depression, people come for coaching. Yeah. And I think it's useful for every coach to have a vague awareness that these could be menopause symptoms and just flag it up and then move on if, if the person's not interested or they don't think it could be the case rather than potentially wasting quite a lot of valuable coaching time on something which maybe would, could also be helped by going to see their doctor yeah. as you're talking it it makes me think about the pandemic actually because there are things aren't there that we know that that are happening in organizations globally as a result of the pandemic and just lightly offering yeah i wonder whether the pandemic might have a part in this question just like that i wonder Be because isn't it interesting because i think when people come for coaching and actually as human beings we make it about us i've got a problem it's therefore i've got yeah. a problem therefore there's something wrong with me therefore i need to do something about it rather than actually going this is a normal part of my journey as a human being in this world. And this is how it's affecting me. And what are the things that I might do to support myself through this? Yeah, which removes that feeling of blame or shame yeah. or inadequacy, which a lot of us carry and can get tipped into quite easily. And also that this might be a systemic organisational issue, going back to when you and I met on the systemic yeah. coaching training. Um, Maybe the organisation as a whole wants to look at how it retains, attracts and supports people through the menopause. Just one thing to mention, our stereotype is that it's women in their 40s and 50s who go through menopause. And I said how it's not just women, but also it's not just that age group. Menopause can happen in your 20s and 30s. Yes. It's unusual, but it can through surgery, hysterectomy or just an early menopause. So um, it's good to be aware of that too. But it's a natural transition stage, a bit like puberty. Do you know, I don't yeah. remember anyone in puberty telling me, oh, it will be hellish. 
you know, you'll, you'll have cramps, you'll bleed. It's a real mess. It's awful. I wish we didn't have to go through this. Um, it will disrupt your schooling. Your moods will be all over the place. I kind of knew all that, but it was couched in a far more positive because of transition to becoming a fertile woman. Hopefully not everyone is, but if we could have a similar attitude to menopause, yeah, this is a transition. It's rocky road. Could be tricky for some of us, but it's a transition into another stage of that older, wiser woman who doesn't give so much of an F about what other people <laughs> think. And that can be really, really liberating. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of that, um, that English poem, When I'm Old, I Will Wear Purple. Very much. I think that could be the, the, the poem for menopausal people. Yeah. 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 So what impact has, you've obviously had lots of teachers from the people that you've encountered through the menopause cafes that you've run, through the other colleagues, people who are setting up cafes around the world. And, you know, everyone's our teacher, aren't they? Yeah. So what impact has that learning had on your coaching, Rachel? Let me think. It certainly made me more alert to the impact of menopause on my coaching clients, the potential impact, and far more aware of this whole transition stage. In men as well as women, men don't have the menopause, but they have that transition stage where you move into being more of a mentor and what's my legacy. So it's made me more aware of this third stage of life mm. um, and the transition into it and the questions that face us, which are different from our more active stage generally in our 20s 30s and 40s when we're doing and moving into this third stage more of being which can look slower and can be less valued in today's society which values doing and achievement but is actually I think what we need so it's enabled me to support my coaching clients to value those more reflective aspects of themselves and to think about what they want to give and leave and just to appreciate that their goals at this third stage in life could be different from their goals in the second stage. And it's given me more compassion. Um, just having heard the stories of people who struggle to remember things. Mm. Um, it's made me, I guess, perhaps a bit more sharing or self-disclosure as a coach. But when it gets to more than three things, I have to write them down now, whereas before I would naturally. And just to share a few things to normalize that to avoid what you referred to, which is people coming for coaching, feeling that they're deficient. Mm. And this is a catastrophe and no one else in the world has ever felt like this before. Rather than, yeah, this is what a lot of us cope with and learn to cope with and it's okay. Um, I, I think it's moved, it's increased my attraction towards I think what Hawkins calls the transformational coaching mm. as opposed to the transactional coaching where it's more about changing our worldview or challenging our assumptions. So it's sort of deeper, wiser. I guess that's the kind of coaching I prefer doing. And maybe that fits well with this third stage. Yeah. And you talked earlier about wearing many hats because you wear the menopause cafe hat and then you wear the Rowan consultancy hat. And in the Rowan consultancy, you wear many hats. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of a hat freak, aren't I? I keep... This is the trouble with having good ideas that succeed. So you end up with too much. And sometimes you have to think about pruning. So yeah, at Rowan, I'm I'm the boss. So I manage the business, and I do some counselling and coaching and training. 
So I'm just curious about the counselling and the coaching hats and mm -hmm. and what might be similar or different in the way that you view counselling and coaching. Yes, we run a two day training course introducing counsellors to coaching skills where we tease out the similarities and differences. So it's something I've thought about. The similarities are counsellors and coaches both use active listening skills mm. and are non-directive. And really, I think that's the powerful thing. That's like Weiss's paradoxical theory of change is just by being more aware, change will happen. We can increase, really slow it down, the, the awareness of our clients. But there's some major differences. Um, so coaching, I think of as about being goal-focused, raising self-awareness, coming up with an action point and some accountability. And in some types of counseling, there isn't necessarily accountability. The client isn't expected to come back and say whether they've got on with their action point or not and may not even set an action point. Mm. So you're kind of left with self-awareness in, in counseling and possibly a goal. I think bereavement's quite a good example. If someone's bereaved, I don't think, usually, certainly initially, they do not need coaching. They need someone to give them a good listening to and to really mourn and acknowledge the mixture of feelings, whether it's relief or sadness or anger or guilt that they've got. Now, as they move forward, it might come a stage where they want coaching on how to rebuild their life after bereavement. Do I want to downsize? Do I want to join societies? Do I want to? So I, I see counselling can often be a precursor that then leads to coaching when one's more ready mm -hmm. to take action. Um, so there's a big over. The other difference is the people who come for coaching generally think of themselves as less broken or vulnerable than the people who come for counselling. There is unfortunately still stigma attached to coming for counselling, whereas going for coaching is a bit of executive bling. So often people who would never come for counselling will come for coaching. Mm. Um, and those of us who are counsellors and coaches can, if it's part of a contract, can do some perhaps some more deeper psychological work with them. So that's the main difference, I think, if the clients are perhaps less robust who come for counselling and need a bit more tender loving care. The, the support challenge balance might be tilted more in favour of support. Mm. Whereas in coaching, perhaps more in favour of challenge, but you and I both know that they're... they both move between. Yeah, I'm. I'm really interested because you talked about bereavement, and mm -hmm. I'm. I'm noticing that for some women or some people who go through the menopause, there's a loss there as well as a as well mm -hmm. as a gain. Mm -hmm. And to acknowledge that loss, for some, it's really profound. Mm. The loss of not being fertile, even if they've had children or never wanted children, still can hit them very hard. Um, or the loss of being attractive. There's <laughs> one advantage of not having been that attractive in my youth. I haven't noticed this big change. But there are some women who are so used to walking down a street and heads turning or attracting sexual attention that it's a huge part of their identity. And, and who am I anymore is a big question if they walk into the room and don't turn heads in the same way or get that kind of attention. Um, so that, that can be another aspect of loss. Mm. Or if they just feel invisible um, physically because of the way our society treats women yeah. with grey hair. Or, all, all the messages in advertising is we're supposed to want to look younger than we are. What's that message about? That's completely devaluing ageing and saying it's something we should cover up and not talk. And that's why some 
people don't like to tell their manager at work that they're menopausal because they say, well, then they'll think I'm old, my manager will think I'm older, my manager will think I'm past it, rather than if it's just a stage and I'm in my prime and I've got a lot to give the organisation. It's interesting, isn't it, that thing about invisibility? Because if I'm in the street, there are moments where I where somebody will walk into me pretty much. And, and I know that that's not an uncommon experience mm. for women with grey hair of a certain age. Yeah. And what's interesting for me is that I experience the opposite when I engage in workspaces mm. where people know who I am. Ah, because then they I respect am, you. You're, you're Claire, the, the author of and the, yes. the brilliant coach rather than just an old woman. But what, what's interesting is, is noticing the dissonance between the two mm. that makes me recognise that actually this is what I'm experiencing in the street mm. because I know it's dissonant with what I'm experiencing, experiencing somewhere else. So it's often I notice people will brush past. And I think with the, with the stuff about social distancing and, you know, that I like social distancing and therefore I notice even more now if somebody yeah, brushes past me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I'm really glad that more and more women in the public eye are going grey. Yeah, and are being are being given roles in films. You know, the Judy Dentures, the Helen Mirrens. Okay, we're not all them, but or even the newsreaders. The more women we can see in the public eye who are respected and not hiding the fact that they're older, the better. And then we can yeah. gradually change those perceptions. And also how how we all hold ourselves, whether we wear purple and stand tall. And take our space in the world, it, which comes down to our own self-awareness and self-esteem. Mm. Mm. Um, so it yes. is, I mean, it's a huge issue that we can't just solve with individual coaching. No. It's society's gendered ageism and it's historic and all sorts of things, but it's shifting. And we've talked at the beginning of this conversation, Rachel, about how much has changed in five years. In that now people, you know, people talk about it on the radio a lot. They do. On May the 2nd, um, Davina's doing another, Davina McCall's doing another TV programme on the menopause. Um, loads of celebrities have, are talking about their menopauses. And yes, there's just more interest and it's talked about. Whereas I think before people had never said the word, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Your average male manager in his 30s may still not have said the word menopause. And I quite feel for them because if their team members come and in an embarrassed way, say, I'm menopausal. So this is the other coaching thing. How, how can managers respond well and openly and in a grounded, non-embarrassed manner if their team mm. members are going through the menopause and want some reasonable adjustments? Mm. It's much easier if they've talked about it before at a cafe or at home or wherever. But things so, are getting better. Sorry. So we need to talk about it with our adult children, our young adult children, so that that equips them better in their workplaces. Well, if we all just talked about our own menopause with our kids, whatever age they are, because some people still have young children mm. when they're menopausal or older ones, just as a normal thing, not a big deal, sit them down, have a chat, but just go, oh, I'm having a hot flush, just need to take off my cardigan, or oh, feeling a bit down today, it's probably the menopause. Then that would normalise it. It's now on the school curriculum. It's been on the school curriculum in Scotland for ages. And thanks to Diane Danzenbrink's excellent parliamentary campaign, it's now on the school curriculum in England. From wow. September 21. Now, okay, half the kids won't listen, but if it's mentioned, maybe they'd be a bit nicer to their mums. Yeah. Or it won't be a shock to them when it happens to them. 
And I think it links with kids and workers talking about menstruation when it happens. I don't know about you. If someone at work says, how are you doing today? And I have a cold, I might go, oh, I'm a bit under the weather because I've got a cold. But I would never have said, oh, a bit under the weather first day of my period. Why not? Yeah. Why not? If we could be a bit more open about periods, then I think we could be a bit more open about menopause. And it's all heading in the right direction, like having free menstrual products in, in loos at work and so on. Yeah, I was in a pub on Friday and they had free menstrual products in the toilets. Let's put them in the coaching in. They're probably there already. <laughs> <laughs> I know they're um, in the coaching in, definitely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, yeah. That sends me into an existential <laughs> angst about what's a virtual toilet, but we won't go there. <laughs> so the, the festival... Yep. Oh, yes. Tell us more. So we started the Menopause Festival back in 2018. When I Googled Menopause Festival, nothing came up because those two words, menopause and festival, had not been put together before. Initially, it was in person in Perth, Scotland, where um, the charity is based. And it's gone online since 2021. So this year, June the Saturday, June the 18th and Friday night, June the 17th is Flush Fest 22. So we start on Friday night with some comedy because the power of laughter, as you'll know from coaching, I'm sure in coaching you've discovered if we laugh together with our clients, not at them, it can really help build the rapport, the trust, the relationship, and lessen their sense of shame. So we start with a comedy night um, on Friday, June the 17th online, which will be great. Last, last year we had a cabaret and it just helps a lot. Once you've laughed together with people, you know you're not alone as well. Yeah a sense of isolation is quite palpable for some people going through menopause and then on Saturday we're really excited because Kirsty Walk who's our um, patron will be interviewing Nicola Sturgeon first minister wow. of Scotland talking about what it's like to be a professional woman in the public eye going through menopause and I think that's a real groundbreaking thing to have women who are maybe a bit more serious and professional talking about it and what's it like standing up in prime minister's question time first minister's question time thinking, oh what if i have a hot flush and can we normalize this then Haitam hamoda he's the chair of the british menopause society will tell us all the medical facts we need to know about menopause um, and then in the afternoon there's a choice of creative workshops because again i think creativity is so important in coaching and in learning in general and this mm. is about learning about the menopause we don't just need the medical facts. We do need the medical facts, but how do we explore them with our creativity to make sense of this stage in our life? So there's painting workshops, all online, so you will have to provide pen and paper, uh, poetry workshop, uh, assertiveness workshops, mental health and well-being during and beyond menopause, the guy and dance, menopause and sex workshop, um, yoga, all sorts of different things that people can sign up for at one o'clock and at three. And that's wow. that's pretty much it. Bit of creativity, bit of comedy, bit of facts, bit of role modeling, all these different ways we learn. So how do people from around the world sign up for the 2022 <gasps> Flush Fest? Well, they go to our website, which is, this is where you say it in unison with me, Claire, www.menopausecafe.net. That's it. You go there where you will see hashtag Flushfest22. Click on it. Book your ticket. We're trying to keep them affordable. Thanks to the sponsorship from EY 
from Scott Mid Co-op and from SSE. They've enabled us to keep the ticket prices, I think about 35 pound for the whole festival pass. That's the comedy night and Saturday and about 28 if you do Saturday on its own and about 15 for the comedy on its own. That's a pound sterling. Yeah. So go then, because it's online, we're hoping people from all over the world can join us to give it Fantastic. a bit more of an international flavor. That would be great. Fantastic. So do share that with your friends and colleagues, listeners, because what an opportunity to be able to have your first conversation that's out about the menopause if you've not had one before. Yes. Can we dare you to mention the word menopause sometime in the next 24 hours? Drop it into conversation. Like I was just listening to the coaching in and they were talking about menopause. Leave it at that. See if the other person picks up on it. If they don't, that's fine. Well, Rachel, it's always a pleasure and a privilege to talk with you. And thank you so much for your time and your insight and and being such a wonderful example of somebody who takes an idea from the sofa and lets it do its own good thing. Yes, thank you. It's been good to reflect on that with you. Uh, it's amazing. So if you could say one thing to our listeners as we finish, what would it be? Be kind to yourself when you're going through a life transition, whether it's menopause, bereavement, changing a job. Self-compassion goes along. Brilliant. Thank you. So uh, I'll put uh, Rachel's professional contact details at Rowan in the show notes. And do have a look at the at the Menopause Cafe website. And if you can go along to the Flush Fest 22, do that. It sounds amazing. Thank Thanks. you, Rachel. Great. Thanks, Claire. Nice talking to you. Bye-bye, everyone. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, we'd love you to share the podcast with a friend or leave a comment on social media. And if you'd like to become a regular at The Coaching Inn, you can subscribe on Podbean and all major podcast channels. We look forward to welcoming you next time. You've been listening to The Coaching In, 3D Coaching's virtual pub. For more information, check out 3dcoaching.com.